this morning. Let us return to John's Gospel, chapter 1. Let us reread a couple of verses, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 of John chapter 1 reads, But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And with particular reference to chapter 1, verse 13 for our text, which were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. The title for our meditation this morning is The New Birth. The New Birth. This is the first time that the new birth is mentioned in John's Gospel. We may be more familiar with John chapter 3, where Jesus brings this truth forth to in the conversation that he had with Nicodemus. He must be born again. But this is not a new doctrine. There is some kind of understanding amongst people, and even people within the, the professing Christian church, that you can be a Christian, and then you can be a born-again Christian. The Bible doesn't recognize any Christian, any profession, unless they are born again. There's only one kind or type of Christian. It is a born-again Christian. And as we said, it's not a new doctrine. It is in the Old Testament. Ezekiel, for instance, mentions it. In Ezekiel chapter 36, there are two verses there linked together verses 26 and 27 of Ezekiel 36, where the prophet says what God will do, quote, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. That's talking about the new birth, a new start, a new heart, a new nature, a new beginning. It's also mentioned in other parts of the New Testament. Several times it's mentioned in 1 John and that general epistle of 1 John. It's also mentioned in Titus. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Here he's talking about what God has done 
for the Christians in Crete and how they were saved. And in Titus 3.5, quote, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. That is another illusion, another reference to the new birth by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Well, this morning we want to look at this text here, which were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And the thing we need to notice at the beginning in our introduction, the text expresses the new birth negatively first. He says, not, not, not. So there's obviously much confusion regarding the doctrine of the new birth. There was in the day that John wrote it. There is much confusion today regarding the new birth. It says here, which were born not of blood. What does that mean? Not of blood. Well, it can mean one of two things. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what it means, but deriving from other sources, we can surely come to at least two possible interpretations of not of blood. And surely the first uh, truth that it brings to us when it says not of blood, grace does not run in the family. A father may be a godly individual, or the mother may be a godly individual. Both of them may be godly, and they may bring offspring into the world. But just because they are godly, and just because they are right with God, and just because they are justified by faith, it doesn't automatically conclude that their offspring will also be Christians not of blood. Grace does not run through our blood veins. Every one of us has to make our peace with God as individuals, and it truly is a blessing to have a godly parent or godly parents, and to be brought up under the influence of the gospel. That is truly a blessing. And if that's your case, you should delight in it and thank God for it. But you cannot rest your salvation upon another, even a godly parent. It is not passed on like other things are passed on. Everyone has to have personal dealings with the Lord Jesus Christ themselves. But the phrase not of blood may mean something else. It may be a reference to the sacrificial system that the Jews were well known to have and to operate and to avail themselves of. The Old Testament is full of sacrifices. What were these sacrifices? Principally, most of them were blood sacrifices. 
where an animal was sacrificed in the place of the sinner. And through the sacrifice, the, the person, the sinner, was made ceremonially clean. It was part of the ceremonial law that God had given to Israel. But they are not to trust upon the ceremonial law. And all the sacrifices that they offered throughout the centuries couldn't, in any sense, get them truly right with God. And, of course, we can open up and expand this. And what surely it is teaching us is that it's not by any kind of religious observations. It's not being strict in a religion. It's not by attending the house of God. It's not by doing the things that God has prescribed for us to do. The new birth is more than that. It cannot be achieved by these kind of ways and means. It's not achieved by obeying the law of God. We are commanded to obey God's law. And the more that we understand God's law, and the more we realize it, the more that we come to the conclusion that we cannot keep it, but we are required to keep it. There seems to be a problem, therefore. But regardless, no matter how strict we might be in the observance of God's law, all his laws, every law, it will not bring about the new birth. And if we devote ourselves to what God has revealed to us in the word of God, it will not bring about the new birth. Not of blood, not of our religion, not of anything like that. That's the first negative that he expresses here, which were born, not of blood. He goes on, not of the will of the flesh. Is this somewhat a repetition of what we have just highlighted? No, it's something more. It means surely when he says, not the will of the flesh, it surely means that no man can bring about the new birth of another man. It's impossible. No matter how well the person is, no matter how good his aim is, no matter how his desire is, he cannot bring the, about the new birth of another individual. It is impossible. No preacher, it doesn't matter how orthodox he is, it doesn't matter how well he preaches, it doesn't matter how well he prays, it doesn't matter about these things, he cannot in of himself bring about the new birth of his hearers or of anyone else. It's impossible. No apostle, no prophet, no parent can do it. It is beyond the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh. We are firmly of the opinion that it is through the foolishness of preaching uh, that God chooses to bless and that people are brought into the kingdom of God. But this is nothing the preacher can switch on. He is purely an instrument. He cannot do it. It is impossible. And he goes on again, another negative, nor of the will of man. Again, it sounds very similar. 
But it, there's a slight difference. It cannot be achieved by the efforts of man himself. Someone might come to the realization that they're not born again. They've sat under the gospel ministry. The, the, the indications of the new birth have been explained to them. And it has been made clear to them that if they have the new birth, then they would live like this. And they realize, well, I don't live like this. I don't have that new life. And they might say to themselves, well, I need to get this new life. Well, they cannot achieve it by themselves. They might come to this knowledge, and they might come to the realization that the new birth that Jesus is talking about, well, I'm a stranger to it. Well, he cannot give it to himself. It cannot be achieved by the will or efforts of man, any man. Absolutely impossible. But our text goes on to say, but of God. And what a wonderful but that is, friends, because it's telling us we have to look to another. We have to look to God. What then is this new birth? What is it? How can we describe it? How can we know that we have it? Well, first of all, the new birth is mysterious. It is mysterious. If you think of that conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Didn't, G didn't Nicodemus say something like this? We know that thou art a teacher who has come from God. For no man can do these miracles except God be with thee. He was wanting to have a, a conversation with Jesus. He was wanting to question Jesus about his ways and manners and where he got his authority and what he was all about. Did Jesus engage in the conversation? No, he didn't at all. In fact, Jesus was quite abrupt. He didn't answer his question. He said to him, clearly, you must be born again. What? Nicodemus? A teacher in Israel? A one who teaches rabbis? In our society, he would be in our seminary. He would be a lecturer. He would be one who would be instructing divinity students, preparing them for the ministry. Here was Nicodemus, a chief of the, of the rabbis, a master, a teacher of Israel. And Jesus says to him, ye must be born again. And Nicodemus was dumbfounded. He didn't understand this. He knew nothing of it. And as we have said earlier, he should have known about it because it was not a new doctrine. It was not a new teaching. It was found in the Old Testament. And Nicodemus was an expert in the Old Testament, yet he knew nothing about it. And in that conversation, Jesus said to Nicodemus, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, 
so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. What was Jesus saying to him there? Jesus was likening the wind to the work of the Holy Spirit. We know something of the wind. We feel it on a cold day when the wind blows. We can tell which direction it comes from. But where did it start? We don't know these things. Sometimes in summertime, we get a cool breeze, and we are delighted to have it. But where did it start? We know nothing about it. Can you see it? No, you cannot see it. You can feel it. Yes, you can feel it. Well, so it is with those that are born of the Spirit. It is a mighty, sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. And we cannot control the Holy Spirit. Much as many people might tell us otherwise. The wind bloweth with it listed. The Holy Spirit moves as he wishes. One is born again there. One is born again somewhere else. It is by the sovereign working of God, the Holy Spirit. And what's more, when he begins his work, when the, there is the new birth, what is the evidence of it? It's a changed life. It's a transformed life. It's very evident when you look at the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. He didn't tell Nicodemus what he had to do in order to be born again. He didn't tell him. He didn't say, A, B, C, follow these steps, and then you'll be born again. No. But he did talk about believing. He does go on to say, For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, friends, the evidence of the new birth is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 12, we find here, would support this. But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I am firmly of the opinion there when he talks about as received him and them that believe on his name, it's basically talking about the same thing. To believe and to receive Christ is the same thing. And we might also expand it by saying to trust upon the Lord Jesus Christ, to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, to look unto Christ, as we find in, in Isaiah chapter 45, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And therefore, these expressions all mean basically the same thing, to come unto the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe upon him, to receive him, to rely upon him, to trust him, is the evidence of the new birth. And this is where there is much confusion in the Christian church today. 
many people get what we're looking at here, the new birth or regeneration, and conversion mixed up. Regeneration is a sovereign work of God the Holy Spirit. And the fruit and the evidence of regeneration is conversion. And we've looked at one element of conversion, which is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the other evidence is repentance. And both faith and repentance stem from and flow from the new birth. You know, no one can truly believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ unless they know this new birth. People might be able to believe on Christ as an historical figure. They might be able to believe biblical facts concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. But belief in the, the, Old, in the New Testament is much, much more than simply believing facts. It is to trust upon the Lord Jesus. It is to cast oneself upon him entirely. It is to renounce ourselves. It is to renounce our own self-righteousness. It is to realize we're dead, we're perishing, we're hopeless, we're lost, we're perishing, and Christ must save us. That's what it means to believe in the New Testament in a biblical sense. And the new birth, friends, is a deeply mysterious thing. It is supernatural. Absolutely supernatural. It is God working in the soul of an individual. It is giving him life, spiritual life. It is alone the work of God. And this is why so many people stumble and so many people dislike this doctrine. Because if you tell people to do something in order to be saved, they're quite happy. They like to think that they have contributed something to their salvation. But as Jonah says, salvation is of the Lord. And here's the first thing that people have to recognize. If they're going to be saved, God must save them. It's God that makes Christians, not man, God, which were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And this new birth is absolutely necessary, absolutely necessary. And this is necessary, friends, because of our state and our plight by nature. Again, something that the modern man, the natural man, does not like to dwell upon. He will receive much of Christ's teaching, but he will not be happy with this because the Bible declares our natural state to be dead to be dead in trespasses and sins. This is what Paul said to the Ephesians. 
to the Gentiles who had become Christians when the gospel was proclaimed to them. And he's reminding them about their former life. He's reminding them about the life that they had been redeemed from. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is what God has done in Christ. They had been quickened. Why were they quickened? Because they were dead. They were spiritually dead. You know, they may well have been alive, and they may have enjoyed all that this world could give them, but they had no relationship with God. Why? Because they were dead. Dead spiritually. How did this come about? Well, it came about from our first parents. Our first parents were made in the image of God, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Adam and Eve were perfect. Adam and Eve had a wonderful, glorious relationship. How long it lasted, we don't know, but they had a glorious relationship with their Creator. There was no barrier. There was no problem. And you know what happened. Sin entered in, and sin changed things so that they died spiritually. What does it mean to die spiritually? Well, basically, friends, what it means is they lost the love of God that they had. Our first parents created perfectly, loved the Lord their God. They loved him. You know that Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments Thou art to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, and thy neighbor as, th as thyself. Well, our first parents, when they were created perfectly, they fulfilled that perfectly. And they had a perfect love towards God and a perfect love for, for themselves. And if they had remained sinless, and as other people would have come around, they would have loved them also. But sin changed everything. Adam hid from God. Why? Because he no longer loved him. He didn't have reverence and fear for him. Instead, he had a fear of judgment, a fear of punishment. And we can tell if we know the new birth, if we have love towards our God. Ask yourself, examine yourself. Adam and Eve served the Lord their God perfectly. Whatever he commanded for, for the time that they were innocent, they did it. They did it joyfully. They served him like the angels in heaven would serve him. Perfectly, joyfully, swiftly, carefully, doing everything that was required. Why? Because it was love that motivated them. And they had spiritual life, which they lost when they sinned. Well, the new birth, friends, it implants that love of God. Ask yourself, examine yourself. Do you have this 
love for God. Even ask yourself, you've come here this morning. Do you look upon this as a duty? Something that you have to endure? If that kind of mindset is in us, we know nothing of the new birth. Because the new birth would cause us to love God and to love to come to his house and to love to worship him and to love to sing his praises and a love to hear his word and a love to obey him. This is what the new birth gives us, amongst other things. It gives us this love that we did not have before. And maybe we served God before because of a fear of punishment. And now we want to serve him under the new birth because we love him. There's a great change within that's happened. And this change is absolutely necessary. If the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. We're no longer slaves. We don't come to the house of God because we fear him with fear of punishment. No, we come to the house of God. We engage in the worship and service of God because we love him. And how has this change come about? This change has come about because he has worked in us by his spirit. Oh, we cannot tell the day. We cannot tell the time. We don't know these things. These things are mysterious, but all the evidence is there, friends. There's a transformation in the life, and it's an inward translation or transformation. You see, regeneration is not reformation. Conversion may be somewhat mode of reformation. But regeneration is new life. I have come, the Bible says. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. This is what he's talking about. New life. And one reason why the modern man and the natural man is not so keen to accept this teaching today, it is because they don't realize the terrible plight of the natural man. They don't recognize our true state and plight before God. We don't realize that what the fall has brought about, how that the natural man, because of the fall, is in a state of sin and of misery. That's the state we are by nature, sin and misery. It's a state of death. But Christ has come that we might have life. And this life, friends, is new life, a life that completely transforms the individual. So where are we today then? 
Can we say that we know something of this? The new birth. We might know much of religion. Nicodemus knew much of religion. He was a religious individual. He was particular in the way that he worshipped God, in the way that he served God. But he knew nothing of this inward transformation. It is, my friends, a mysterious, sovereign work of God in the soul of the sinner, without which none shall be saved. It's not something we can bring about. We haven't got the power. We haven't got the ability. And maybe then this morning or this afternoon as it is now, maybe we've come to the realization that I don't know anything about this. What can I do? The minister has said, God alone can do this. There's nothing I can do. That's not the case. You cannot bring about your new birth. That is true. But there is something you can do. What can you do? You can cry out to God. This doctrine should cause us indeed to go before God on our knees and cry unto him that we might know this new birth. If God is the one who can give it, if it's through his Holy Spirit that we have this new birth, then we are to petition the Lord our God and we are to give him no rest. We cannot be born again by blood, nor by the will of the flesh, not of the will of the man, but of God. And therefore, we are to go to him. We are not just to simply sit back and say, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. No. The Bible does not countenance that kind of behavior at all. We are to go to him. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. What a prayer. He hears that prayer. Give me this new birth. Give me this love for God that I don't have currently. Give to, these, to me these things, O Lord. Cry out to God. Let him hear your cries. Let him hear your petitions. He will hear. The new birth. Friends, you must be born again. Amen.